Welcome to another inspirational message by Pastor Ron Hammonds, Senior Pastor at Golden Triangle Church on the Rock in Beaumont, Texas. For more information about Church on the Rock and Ron Hammonds Ministries, visit cotr.com. Open up your Bibles if you would. We're going to be going uh, briefly tonight to the book of 1 Corinthians. While you're turning to 1 Corinthians, we're going to be going to chapter 12 in a moment. Uh, we're going to be talking about part two tonight. What in the world is part two? Well, last week I didn't quite get to finish, but I wanted to make sure that I finished up with something. I felt like the Lord was uh, speaking to us in this season. Last week, we began discussing the preemptive strategy of God, how that the Lord works in our lives by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit teaches us, and then he guides us. He tells us about things before they come to pass. He gives us a, a, a preemptive opportunity to, to develop principles and strategies to, to guard against the temptations, the tests, the trials that, that are going to come our way even before we get there. I love this, uh, this one, one, of the, uh, uh, one of the things that we teach here, principles before problems. If you have a principle before a problem, it will hedge you. It will keep you from just walking blindly off of a cliff. Uh, cliff. Off of a cliff. <laughs> I don't know where the cliff came from, but I, I, I guess. Uh, <laughs> uh, thank you for being so, uh, uh, you know, embracing of my uneducatedness, uneloquentness. Uh, but <laughs> God, God is at His best when we are at our best. Most people may not realize that, but God will fail if you don't do your job because he's depending on you. God cannot accomplish what he has set out to accomplish without you because he has set out to accomplish something through you, in you, with you, for you. If you don't let him into your heart to begin with, he cannot succeed because his success, what he has set out to do is to get into your heart. He has also set out on a journey, and on a, he's, he's committed to getting into your mind and to filling your mind with his word. He is determined to do his very best. He, he will not feel like he has succeeded if he cannot fill your mind with his word. He will not feel like he has succeeded if you are not Joyful, even in the midst of adversity. Because his goal and his purpose is to so surround us with his word and his will and his way that we understand that he's in control, that he's got everything taken care of, and he tells us the things before they come to pass. He prepares us for trouble before we get there. Now, the Bible says that a wise man will look to see what God is doing and he will, he will observe what God wants to do from, from God's word and he will find pitfalls even before he gets to them. God said he will tell us of things before they come to pass. The Holy Spirit wants to prepare us for problems that the world is facing, that everyone else will face. I mean, this is what the whole word of God is pretty much aimed at, is God is trying to prepare us to miss hell in eternity and to miss the hell of this life, you know, to, uh, to, uh, to succeed 
God has to make us successful in his word and his will. And so he's always running ahead of us, you know. And, and uh, in this Christmas season, you know, uh, I, I, I just feel like the Lord wants us to take the chance that we're going to be offered in this Christmas season to be a little more joyful, a little more inclusive, a little more loving, a little more giving. You know, because this is what God is all about. Last week we talked about John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have you know, everlasting life. We talked about that. And we talked about the three truths that are contained in this central gospel message. This truth of John 3, 16. For God so loved. We talked about the truth that God loves. You know, uh, we, we talked about how, 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 how much, how powerful God's love is. That God loves. We also talked about the fact that God so loved the world. He didn't just love one group of people. He didn't just love, you know, one, uh, one segment of society or one nation, one tribe. He didn't love just one family. God so loved the whole world. The Bible says that while I was a yet a sinner, Christ died for me. That's the love of God. The Bible says herein is the love of God. This is the love of God that Christ loved us before we loved him. And that Christ loved us while we were yet sinners and died for us without any promise that we would accept him. That's God's love. And also we talked about the fact that God is the epitome of giving. We looked at the unselfish giving of God's best. His intent to include everyone and the unselfish giving of his best. John 3, 16, God so loved God's love, the world, his intent to include everyone that he gave. <laughs> well, you know, we talked about his love, his inclusion, and his giving. You see, God gave first. Now, many times the Bible says Jesus was talking to a group of people. He said, listen, it's not uncommon for you to love people that love you. He said, even the world does that. Yeah. This is Jesus trying to explain God to us and trying to explain what God wanted us to imitate, what qualities our heavenly father wanted to pass on to us and teach us. See, God has an eternal reward for loving us. We will be with him forever. He wanted us to be like him. And Jesus trying to teach that, he said, listen, it's not uncommon. It's not, you know, it's, it's not uncommon to love someone who loves you. It's not uncommon to give, someone, to give to someone who gives to you. It's not uncommon to forgive someone who forgives you. It's not uncommon to like someone who likes you. Jesus said, when you do that, you've not really done anything. For even the lost, sinful world does that, he said. I'm paraphrasing, but I, I have a license to do that, okay? He said, but what I want you to do is to love people who don't love you. I want you to give to people who don't give to you. I want you to forgive people who won't forgive you. Whoa. Hold on a second. <laughs> That's... A new word. He said, well, a new commandment I give to you, but, you know, I mean, it's not really new, he said. 
It's older than the hills. In fact, it's just the law and the prophets wrapped into one that love God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And so, you know, God gave first. God gave most. You know, I mean, he gave his best. He didn't, I mean, he gave everything he had. When he gave, when, when, when he gave his only begotten son, he gave everything he had. I mean, he, he gave everything. He gave most. God gave first. God gave most. And also, God gave willingly. Well, that's, that's, a, that's a pretty tall order. You know, it wasn't grudgingly or of necessity. Whenever the Apostle Paul, writing by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, told us that in our giving, we should be cheerful in our giving. For God loves a cheerful giver. Well, he was talking about the reflective nature and quality of God. That God wants us to be like him. And one of the things he wants us to do is be cheerful in our giving. To be happy about our, to give willingly. In fact, the Apostle Paul wrote that, 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 that you know, uh, give, give willingly, not of necessity. Not because you have to, but because you want to. Well, hold on a second. I'm stuck on this side of want to. <laughs> I will do, but I may not want to. God said, you know, if you just let me consume your mind and if you'll just let me into your life, if you'll see things the way I see it, if you'll take a look at life the way it really is, if you'll look at it the way it really is instead of the way you think it is, instead of the way it's been shaded by the world, instead of the way it's been shaded by your carnal nature, by that sinful nature, that sinful, carnal nature that you're born with colors life. And it feels good sometimes to be selfish. Oh, I'm so glad God's not. It feels good sometimes to just, you know, well, I'm glad God's not that way. And that's what God wants to do in our life. He wants to show us a better way, teach us a better way. And he wants to do it before we get into problems. And so coming up in this Christmas season, you know, Christmas is going to offer us an opportunity to see some of the best and some of the worst in people's lives. And God wants us to be a good influence, a godly influence on others. That's all. So when we go to our families and we go to our friends and go to our office parties and, you know, we go to church and we, and we, and, and we, and, and we pass that bell ringing guy outside of, you know, uh, Walmart or wherever, that we actually have a smile on our face and joy in our heart and that, and that you know, we're, 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 we're looking and acting godly. Of course, we know that the God of this world wants to... Um, destroy our lives, wants to divide us, wants to, wants to uh, uh, bring us into opposition with God. We, we know that the God of this world and even our own nature, they run contrary to God. So that the things that God wants us to do aren't often first nature for the person who has gotten born again and is just growing up in Christ. Now, after you grow up into Christ a while, it ought to become first nature for you to be loving and forgiving. But it, at times it can still be a struggle because the Apostle Paul said we still wrestle with that old carnal nature. We have to crucify our flesh daily. You know, 
the God of this world and our old carnal nature, they run in opposition to the will and the word and the way of God. And, and uh, several times in the Bible, the scriptures show us that, that there is a marked difference between uh, God's ways and the ways of this world. God is loving. You know, the devil is hateful. He is. The devil is hateful. God is a giver. The devil is greedy. He's greedy and he's selfish and he just wants more. And he'll never be satisfied. He's ungrateful. God is merciful and forgiving. The devil is resentful and the devil is bitter. He's unforgiving. The devil wants to divide us and destroy us and our families while God wants to unify us. And bless us so that we can be a blessing to our families. And uh, Jesus and the apostles often address these temptations that Christians face in life. Of God wanting us to be a reflection of his love and his inclusion, his kindness, his giving, his mercy, his gentleness, his faithfulness. And the devil wanting us to be a reflection of the world. You know, we talked last week about divisions, how the devil wants to divide us. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we know that God wants to strengthen us. And so here the Holy Spirit is trying to give us a picture of truth. That if we can see it, God's hope is if we can see it, then we go, hey, that's the word of God. I'm going to start you know, encouraging myself and others, I'm going to start, you know, doing my best to actually live this way. And I'm going to let God begin to consume my mind and direct my thoughts and curb my behaviors. I'm going to, you know, police myself for Christ. Well, 1 Corinthians 12, one of the best ways that the Apostle Paul, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, could explain this to us mere mortals... Begins in verse 12. He said, for as the body, he's, he's wanting to talk to us a, about a truth and he's going to use our body as a natural representation of a spiritual truth. For as the body is one and has many members, you know, arms, legs, fingers, toes, you know, ears, eyes, you know, we, but, but, but yet we're one body, but we have many members of that one body being many we are still just one body. This is the same as Jesus is. This is also Christ. For by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free. And we have all been made to drink into one spirit. He's saying now without respect to, 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 to where you came from or, or, or you know, your, your past, once you get born again and baptized into the spirit of Christ, through a born-again experience, then you are a part of the body of Christ. Verse 14, for in fact, the body is not one member. You are not the church, but we're many members. If the foot should say, because I'm not the hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? I mean, that, re that reflection tells us that if a person says that they are not a part of your family, does that make them not a part of your family? No. I mean, if the, if the, you know, denominations were to declare that, well, I'm, you know, I'm not the same as you because I'm of this denomination. Therefore, we're not, no, well, that won't make you 
not in the same body just because you claim you're not. And verse 16, and if the ear should say, because I am not the eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased. You know, where we fit in the body of Christ is really up to God. Verse 19, and if there were all one member, where would the body be? That means if everybody was an arm, you know, what's he, he's given us reflection that we're all different. We're all different, but God is the one that made us different. God made us different for different reasons, different purposes that are way beyond our control and even perhaps beyond our comprehension at times. We're different. Okay. You know, we like different things. We, we, we act different. You know, there, there are some people in my family that if I was not related to them, I'd never see them again. Wouldn't bother me at all. I know that they feel the same way about me, most of them. But the fact is we're family. And that speaks. You know, that's, I mean, there's, that's just the way it works. You just can't decide one day that uh, that no one else is as important because they're not like you. Verse 20 again, but now indeed there are many members, yet one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. No, much rather those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. Sometimes we wonder why. Have you ever wondered why in the world did God put you in his army? I've often wondered why in the world God included somebody else in this family. Well, those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, verse 23 says, on these we bestow greater honor and our unpresentable parts have greater modesty. But our presentable parts have no need. But God composed the body, having given greater honor to that part which lacks it, that there should be no schism. Oh, there's that word. I knew we would finally get connected with last week. You see, God is wanting no schism in the body. That means he's not wanting us to divide over our petty differences. He's not wanting us to end up losing, whether losing other members or separating ourselves from the body because of some difference of opinion, because of some dislike. You know, the fact of the matter is some girls don't like guys like me, but some girls do. But if we are related, whether you like me or don't like me, I'm your brother. You know, we're one family, one body. I may not, you know, laugh when you laugh. I may not even understand what you're laughing at. Don't laugh at me. Don't call me names. Y'all remember the song? Don't take your pleasure from my pain. Y'all don't, do you? 
In God's eyes, we're all the same. Okay, never mind. It's a country western song anyway. I know some of you don't like country western songs. I do. Don't dislike me for that. Okay? I won't dislike you for not. Why? There should be no schism in the body, no division. That word means to divide ourselves, to separate, to take something that was whole and put a tear in it, put a rip in it. That's what it means. Literally, to take a piece of material that is woven together, that someone spent time weaving together, and to tear it, to tear a piece of cloth. The Bible talks about us being weaved together, and it encourages us not to tear apart what God is trying to weave together. I know sometimes we don't want to be woven together with people that aren't like us. But our petty differences fall short of God's plan for our lives. That there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. Verse 26, the Holy Spirit tries to get us to believe that if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. And if one member is honored, all the members are honored with it. If I could make this hand and arm the ping-pong champion of the world, this arm would take me places that the rest of my body didn't deserve to go. Hello? Because this foot didn't do a thing. You know? This arm can't even play ping pong. I try to eat with chopsticks every now and then on my left hand. I'm thinking, well, if it wasn't for this hand, I would be so slim. <laughs> but this hand, this arm, this, this, this one doing well and being honored will bring honor to my whole body. And my arm, he says, that if it suffers, then my whole body suffers with it. If one is honored, all the members rejoice with it. <laughs> I can imagine it'd be a big old smile on my face if this arm made me a billion dollars. What you want to imagine? Yeah. <laughs> okay. It's... It's the same. Verse 27, we conclude by the Apostle Paul saying, Now you are the body of Christ. And remember, you're just a member. Let Jesus have his body. Let Jesus enjoy his body and enjoy his body with him. Amen? Amen. Amen.